0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning morning. morning online is what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Um, It's an honor to be here. I want to give you the title of my message. It's How Influence Leads to Forgiveness and Reconciliation. And I hope that you can um, connect the dots as I go through my message this morning. I remember reading the Bible for the first time, and I wouldn't know how the stories would end up. I had no exposure to the Bible. I didn't know the names or characters in the Bible. And so as I would read it for the very first time, I didn't know what to expect. I'm going to share with you this one particular passage where I thought it was going to end up one way and then it ended up another way. And it's in the beginning of Genesis 33. It's a story of two brothers named Esau and Jacob. And they haven't seen each other for over two years. 20 years, and that's for good reason. You see, the younger brother stole the inheritance, blessing, and birthright from the older brother. And they haven't seen each other, and they're about to meet after 20 plus years. And they're on what I call a collision course. So I'm going to read the passage, and let's see what happens on this collision course. I think I'll put it up there, yep. And Jacob lifted up his eyes. And looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and their two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, and Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him. Let's just stop there. Jacob is expecting the worst, but he's in for the surprise of his life. So let's read the rest of the passage. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. And he kissed him and he wept. I remember saying, this is an amazing story of forgiveness and reconciliation with these brothers. What a great story. This particular story changed the course of history. We all have a story. And I believe that your story has been influenced probably by the generation before you. And that generation has been influenced by the generation before that. What else influences us? Maybe it's celebrities that influence you, movies you watch, music you listen to, television, books you read. I was looking up this book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. One hundred million copies have been sold. That's almost one-third of the U.S. population. That book is influencing people. Maybe it's the radio, art, magazines. But now these days, it's, it's social media that's making and impact and influencing you. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, those are some of the most popular ones. I remember my friend wanted to have his new business website tweeted by the celebrity Kim Kardashian. And he looked into to see how much it would cost him for one tweet by her. $20,000 it was gonna cost him. Why? She has 54 million followers. She is influential. She was even rated one of the most influential people in the world by Time magazine. So you see all these influences coming at you, social media, movies, and so on. And I wrote here that it affects the way you think. Influence shapes your identity. Like it or not, you are being influenced every day. But where does it really start? I believe that influence starts with the people that are in your life. It's family, like your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, your grandparents, um, aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, Maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a coach. But I believe in the West, it's mainly your friends that are influencing you. I'm from the East, so it's family that influenced me when I was young. But as I go around the world, I see that even in the East, friends are becoming more and more influential than your own family. Here's a a short story of how influence was very powerful in my life when I was young. When I was a kid, my Mom's older brother moved his family from India to Canada, and we helped them immigrate to Canada. And we helped them start a family business. And then that family business began to fail, all over a dispute over money. And our families began to fall apart. And I remember knowing how my dad felt about my uncle. And we were in the kitchen, and I asked my dad, and my mom was in the kitchen as well, and I said to my dad, Uh, What do you think of my uncle? And he said this, he he said, this is what I think of him. Uh, If he was injured and lying on the ground in the middle of the winter next to his car that was broken down and I was on the same road, I would drive right past your uncle. That's what I think of your uncle. I shifted right over to my mom. I wanted to see her reaction. That was her brother he was talking about. And she affirmed that answer by nodding her head and, and saying yes. Right there and then, I was powerfully influenced on how I felt about my uncle and his family and my cousins. But I'm here also to tell you that influence has the opposite effect also. It can lead to forgiveness and reconciliation. So I want to share with you three stories uh, today. One will be my story. Um, The second will be the the, um, continuation of Esau and Jacob. And the last one I wrote here that it might make you a little uncomfortable. Well, as you can see, I was born in India, New Delhi, India. And I'm from a Hindu background. And when I was about a year old, my family, which is my mom and dad and my older brother, we immigrated to Canada. And I had a very happy upbringing. But there was one thing that hindered me quite a bit. Maybe you've already figured it out, but I stuttered. I stuttered very badly when I was a child, and I had very low confidence as a child. But it was my father that helped me with my confidence, and he got me involved in sports. And I began to play tennis, which was one of them, and I got a scholarship here, of all places, at the University of Akron, to play tennis. And my confidence grew as I landed here in Akron, Ohio. You see, I was far away from my parents, and um, it was easy for me uh, to not obey my parents. You see, I'm from an Eastern background, and um, I always wanted to obey my parents. I lived for my parents, and my uh, uh, parents lived for me. We avoided um, shame, and we hid pain in our family. Um, When I was growing up, I didn't get involved in alcohol, drugs. I didn't have sex. I was very shy with girls. But when I landed in Akron, Ohio, the very first week I was away from home, I tried alcohol, I had sex, and I did drugs. In the very first week. This is where I let everyone know, don't send your kids to Akron, Ohio. (laughs) Well, my confidence grew in college. I met my wife there, who was American, and she was Christian. But after she met me, she faded away from her faith right away. We moved from Ohio to Los Angeles, California. And that's where my whole life came into a perspective, is that I saw the um, success, the celebrities, the big houses, and the fast life there, and I loved it, and I wanted it. And I knew then that I what my meaning and purpose would be. Uh, we met so many celebrities. Uh, when I lived in LA, my neighbor who lived above me was Will Smith, the actor. I walked the red carpet with Tom Cruise, the actor, at a movie premiere. Um, I was in a nightclub, and Madonna, the singer, walked up to me, and she asked me to dance. She's only this tall, and I said, sure. <laughs> so it was an exciting life, but I knew what my meaning and purpose was, and that was that I wanted to be successful. And my purpose was that I wanted to acquire material things. Why? That's the evidence of being successful. So we decided that I needed to make lots of money, and I researched what I wanted to do, and I started and I entered into the lucrative medical sales device business. So we moved from Los Angeles back to Ohio, and my income skyrocketed. We had two daughters by now. We built a custom home. We joined the country club. I was wearing a Rolex watch. I was driving fast cars and and going on fast vacations, and I was living everything what I wanted to do. In fact, I was making so much money that I was able to walk into a Porsche car dealership here in Akron and buy a Porsche 911 for cash for $100,000. That's the kind of money I was making. But every time I experienced something or acquired something, I actually desired more after that. So I wasn't being satisfied i would want the next color car i would want to see what my next home would be and um, my next watch and so on and i thought i had it all as my girls got a little bit bigger my wife said i want to go back to church and they were building a large one in hudson ohio called christ community chapel and my answer was no i do not want to go there and she convinced me that it would be good for my girls and then i thought it would make me look good So we started going to church, and once in a while, we would go. And almost all the time, I would be up in the top row, and I would be daydreaming. I would either have a hangover, or I was bored, and I was very uncomfortable there. I didn't like the music. I didn't like going there. But once in a while, you guys, I would listen to the message. And when I would listen, I'd get a lump in my throat. And I would have the emotion of guilt... I didn't like it. At the same time when I would go, there was one particular African-American pastor that was there. And every time I would go there, he would always try and catch my eye. It's a large church, so I could hide all the time, but every time I'd look, and then he'd look, boom, he'd catch my eye. (laughs) And I remember one time he saw me from a far distance, and he would always smile at me, and I would nudge my wife. i go, I think that guy's after me. (laughs) So, I thought I had it all. My inside didn't match my outside. To make matters worse, I, uh, I how do I put it? I, I had a craving for material things. But on, on top of that, I craved pleasure. You see, Around the sixth grade is when I discovered pornography. And I began to um, search for it at a young age. And then in high school, it was part of my life. And in college, it began to consume me. And then in marriage, it was um, what I call an addiction. It was part of my life, and I just lived with it. But even that was not enough for me. I began now to look outside my marriage, and I was on what I call a path of destruction. I began living a double life. I began living what I call a lie. I was a a family man at home and then a self-centered man outside the home. And I was on a path of destruction. And then bad news hit our family, really bad news. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, And I remember that emotion hearing the news of guilt and anger at the same time. You see, I come from a Hindu background and I believed in karma. I believed that my behavior was the reason why my wife got sick. And so I cleaned up my act and we began um, to see my wife heal. And she went into remission after a couple of years. And then I went back into my old lifestyle even harder, and even faster. And in June 2010, I knew I was going to lose everything I valued in my life, which was my family. You see, I've been in many, many corners in my life. And I've been able to uh, physically get out of them and verbally get out of them. But that particular day, I was uh, exhausted, and I was feeling the emotion of shame and pain at the same time. And I only wanted to do one thing, and I had one option, and that was I wanted to end my life. That's what happens when you don't like yourself. So that morning, I got in my car, and I went on my suicide drive. And I can say this, I go all over the world, but I got all the way up to 77, and I was going to a bridge here. But then something really odd started happening. That African-American pastor's face kept popping in my mind. And the emotion I kept feeling was anger. So I made a deal with myself. I said, okay, if he is waiting for me in my church that I go to, then he will be the one that will talk me out of it. So I got back, drove back, parked into the church. I was very uncomfortable there. I didn't know where the offices were. I figured it out. I walked in and um, his secretary walked up and I asked to see him and I, His name is Marshall Brandon, and I called him Brandon Marshall, so I didn't even know his name. Well, Lisa Kibler walked up, his secretary, and she said, I'm sorry, but he's not here. It's his day off. And I remember lowering my neck and my head, and I walked out of there, and I knew where I was going and what I was going to do. As I was driving... Minutes later, I don't even know how long it was, but the phone rang and it was Lisa. And she said, um, Marshall will see you on your day, on his day off. Would you like to come back? And more anger. <laughs> but I said yes, but I was angry. I ch- turned my car back around. Drove into the parking lot, walked into the office, and there he was. That man with the smile. And he shook my hand and we walked into his office and he had two chairs where we sat beside each other. Our our knees were facing each other about a yard apart. And right there and then he began and asked me three questions no one in the world had ever asked me. And the first one was, Sanj, tell me what's wrong. No one ever asked me that. And I began to explain what was wrong for about an hour to a stranger out loud for the very first time. And I ended by saying, nothing in this world satisfies me. And so he asked me a second question. He said, has your way of living been working for you so far? I said, no. And then he followed up with a third question. He says, do you want to try something different today? And I said, yes. And he says, well, I want you to go home and I want you to think about it. And I said, Marshall, if I leave, I'm not coming back. So he moved the seats closer to each other. And he agreed to tell me. And what he explained to me perfectly was who Jesus Christ was, why he died on the cross, And why he rose from the dead. He explained to me the gospel message. You see, it was the very first time that I prayed in my life. I was now on my knees and I was praying. And when I said to Jesus that I was sorry and that would you forgive me, that instant, you guys, that instant, I knew that I was saved by Jesus Christ. Because that was the first time I spoke the truth in my life when I said I was sorry. And I remember getting up. If you've ever read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, it was like this giant weight was lifted off my back. And I remember looking at his knees and I had wept on on his knees because I was praying. And he smiled at me and I saw the face of Jesus in Marshall that he led me to Christ. And uh, I remember walking out of the office not knowing what to do and he said, Sanj, wait a minute. He says, I'd like you to read the Gospel of John. And I said, sure. And I just walked out and I walked back. I said, what's the Gospel of John? <laughs> you can imagine his smile. He had a Bible already in his hand and he sat me down and he gave me a reading plan how to read the Gospel of John. And I walked out of that office and, and I walked outside <clears throat> with a Bible in my hand and I knew I was saved by Jesus Christ. And I got in my car and I started my car and I had the radio on. And I used to listen to a guy named Howard Stern. And I spun the dial. And I landed on Moody Radio. And I landed on a guy who I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. His name was Alistair Begg, but he was talking about a Corinthian. But I knew he was talking about God, I think. I remember meeting Alistair about a year after that, and I explained that story. And he said, let me ask you one thing, Sanj. One thing. He says, why did you spin the dial? I said, the reason why I spun the dial is because I wanted to know everything about the man that just saved my life. He said, wow. And we became friends after that. Well, I turned the radio down, and I began reading the Gospel of John right in my car. And I stopped in the 10th chapter and I stopped in a passage that made my whole life and it put it all in, into perspective, this, this particular passage, and, I, and, I, and I'll read it for you. And this is, this is how it goes. It's right off the lips of Jesus. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and n- no one will snatch them out of my hand. I remember going six promises in a row. No one in the world ever spoke to me like that. And immediately I remembered my lump in my throat. And I realized what that was, was that he already loved me, and I began to fall back in love with him. Well, what I realized after reading that was that I wasn't looking for the next thing or feeling, but I was really looking for the Truth, and I found it in the person of Jesus Christ. And I began falling madly in love with Jesus. He was what was missing in my life. Who do you think the first person that I ran to that I wanted to tell? My wife. She immediately pushed me away physically and was very skeptical. But there were three people in my life that had been influencing me for years. The first person was my mother-in-law. I watched her faith from a distance. And the second person was a lady named Diane Hedrick. She was my colleague. She worked with me. And I watched her walk the walk and admired her. The third person was one of my customers at the Cleveland Clinic, Dr. Russ Raymond. And I watched him also walk the walk and admired him from a distance. Well, I was going around now. I was was an evangelist right away. I began to tell everybody. I began to tell my neighbors. I began to tell everyone at work, all my customers, strangers. I had Bibles in the back of my car. And I had little Gospel of John's in, in my car. But there were two people I was unable to tell. And that was my mom and dad. Being from a Hindu background, I was very afraid to tell my parents. I even went to my enemies. I wrote emails. I asked them uh, to meet with me and I would meet with some of them and I said I was sorry and I asked for their forgiveness and I explained that now I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I still was unable to tell my parents. After I was leaving Dr. Raymond's office, I was halfway out the door and he said, Sanj, hang on a second, and he wrote on a piece of paper, I want you to read a guy named Ravi Zacharias. I went, I don't know who this name is, but it looked like an interesting name. So what I did was I, I got in my car and I went all the way down 77. I can say that now. And I went to uh, what was called the Berean Bookstore, which was a Christian bookstore. Now it's called Lifeway. I used to mock that store every time I'd go by it and go, who would even go in there? And here I am going in that store. And I was looking for all, anything written by him. And there was Ravi's biography. It was called Walking from East to West. And I only wanted to see one thing. I flipped the the book around and I saw his picture and, and I said, wow, another Indian that loves Jesus. Now there are t- t- two in the world. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I began listening to his books, sorry, reading his books, listening to his messages. I read that book. I started in that parking lot and finished it within a week and I was on to the next one watching him on YouTube and he began to give me confidence now to reach my mom and dad. And so I finally sat down with my parents, and I explained what happened to me. They were upset and confused at the same time. But as the months went on, and as a good uh, Indian son, I would always call my parents, especially my mom, weekly, sometimes almost daily. And I began to speak to them about faith. And my mom and I would have lots of conversations about faith, and it was usually at the end of the week when we would really get into it. And I sent my mom and dad that book that I read by Ravi first. And it was my mom that picked it up, and she actually began to read it and finished it fast. And she said, this is a very good book. It's a great story. Does he have any other books? I said, sure. So I sent another one, and I sent a third one. So it's about six months now, and I said, Mom, would you be open To reading the Bible. She says, absolutely. I'm going to read it because I'm going to show you and prove to you that you're wrong. (laughs) So I sent her the Gospel of John and she began reading it. And she stopped on the fourth chapter at the Woman of the Well. And she called me and she says, "Uh, I have a secret I want to tell you. I said, okay, don't let anybody know. I said, I I won't, Mom. She says, okay, here's my secret. I had a dream of jesus christ last night i'm like wow this is what i did (laughs) she finished the gospel of john a few weeks later and said i have one more secret i gotta tell you i said okay mom what's your secret please don't tell anyone i said okay i won't she said i had another dream of jesus christ and i like him (laughs) and i want to add him into my gods i went okay okay then my wife had a brilliant idea. She said, why don't we go see Ravi live as, a, as another way of connecting your mom and dad? And they agreed. And so we looked on the calendar, and Ravi was speaking in Toronto, Canada. And they live in Ottawa, and we live here. And so we wrote an email to the ministry, and I found out about a person who was a high school teacher of my daughter's that knew the ministry. His name is David Myers. He'll get mad that I said his name. But he uncharacteristically wrote an email on our behalf. So we arrived and we listened to Ravi at a packed house in Toronto. And he finished his powerful message and then we were done. And then we got a tap on the shoulder from his assistant saying, Ravi would like to say hello to you and your family after. I got excited because I want to get my book signed. <laughs> so we went in the back room and he, and he greeted us and he spoke to my parents in our native language, which is Hindi. And the conversation began about India and, and my mother shifted the conversation about Hinduism and Ravi was able to answer all his question, all her questions. And then he shifted the conversation about Christ And then my mom began to weep and said these words, I have yearned for this all my life. And she bowed her heads and accepted Jesus as her one and only God. I remember waking up the next morning and saying to my wife, did that really happen? And so we walked over to my parents' hotel room, and we knocked on the door, and my father answered, and my mom was still lying in bed under the covers. I said, Mom, how do you feel? And uh, she said, well, that was the best sleep of my life. And you'll never know. I went, wow. Well, from that moment on, you wouldn't believe how the gospel message started spreading in my family. And here's the key part of my message is that my wife rededicated her life now to Jesus Christ. She realized that she had been forgiven also by Jesus and that she needed forgiveness, which gave her the ability to forgive me the unforgivable. We were then um, uh, renewed our vows with Marshall Brandon in front of our daughters. Both my daughters recently surrendered their lives to Jesus. Do you remember my older brother that I talked about? I didn't really like him. And we never got along. A year after that, his wife, himself, and his kids were baptized in Atlanta, Georgia. And he follows Jesus now, too. And we reconciled. Now my father, he doesn't believe. So if you could pray for him, his name is Vishwa. You know, so where am I now? I have new desires. Uh, remember how I talked about meaning and purpose? I have meaning and purpose now. If you want to have notes and, and take notes, this is this is probably the time that my meaning and purpose is this. Number one, my meaning is this, that I belong to God. When I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I belonged to him. And I immediately wanted to know him after that. And when I began to know him, I began to follow him. So that's my meaning, which is belong, know, and follow. And what's my purpose in life now? It's right from Jesus' mouth. To love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and to love others like you. And I love you. So, are you connecting the dots a little bit Can you see how my story of forgiveness and reconciliation has influenced my family? Are you connecting the dots? Let's go into the second story. And this story is right from the Bible. It's a story that has influenced forgiveness, and reconciliation. It's the continuation of Esau and Jacob. Here's a little background. Let me throw up a little organizational chart here. You can see now Jacob has 12 sons. And one son in particular's name is Joseph, which is his favorite son from his favorite wife. This and some other things led the other brothers to become very jealous of Joseph. They hated him and they wanted to get rid of him. So they came up with a very painful way of getting rid of him. They sold their brother off to slavery into Egypt. But from there, through an amazing series of circumstances in which Joseph remains faithful to God, he ends up now becoming second in in command of the whole Egyptian empire. And one day, Joseph predicts that there'll be a famine for seven years. And at that point, Joseph is now in control of all the food supply. And thanks to some wise preparation, Everyone in Egypt has food, but the rest of the world is facing starvation now. And you guessed it. Jacob's family is feeling the pain of starvation. And they hear that the only way way to get food is Egypt. So what Jacob does is he sends his sons in Egypt to buy food. And so the scene is, is, is that the brothers are in front of their younger brother, Joseph. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he never obviously forgot what his brothers did to him. And the Bible goes on to say that he's full of emotion. And he doesn't let them know that he's their brother. What should Joseph do with his brothers? Should he forgive them? Remember when we thought in the earlier story of Esau and Jacob was going to end up one way and then ended up another way? Maybe you can connect the dots with me here. See if you saw it the first time and maybe you missed it. But let me put up the passage again. You see Joseph's name, the only one of the brothers' names that's mentioned by God up there. Do you maybe think that he was deeply influenced that afternoon or day when he saw Esau, his, his uncle, forgive his brother, Jacob? Do you think he was deeply influenced by watching grace and forgiveness happen, the unforgivable, when his uncle forgave his dad? He saw that. It even said it in there maybe it influenced him with his decision. Because what does Joseph decide to do? He he also decides to forgive his brothers. And the Bible goes on to say that they reconciled. And when he addressed his brothers at the end of Genesis, this is what he said to them. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What's he doing here? He's giving credit to God for his ability to forgive the unforgivable. Like my wife gave credit to God to forgive me the unforgivable. And again, the Bible says that they hugged and they wept. This event changed the course of history also. Are you connecting the dots? Remember how my mom got saved by Jesus Christ? Who do you think she went to first and asked for forgiveness? My uncle, her older brother. And when she did that, our families began to reconcile. And after that, my uncle was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I remember going to visit him when he was very sick. And we sat on the bed together, and I asked him a couple of questions. And I was very nervous. And I asked him, The first question was, how do you feel physically? He says, I don't feel anything. I've lost my appetite. You could see him. His whole body, his leg was bone. So I asked him a second question. Very nervous. I said, how do you feel spiritually? He said the exact same answer to my surprise. I don't feel anything. And I said, well... I'm sorry. And then he said, but let me just tell you one thing. He said, I have peace, peace that I got my sister back. And so I said, would you like to know who got your sister back? And he said, yes, who got my sister back? And I said, are you sure you want to know who got your sister back? And he says, yes, tell me who it, who it is. And I said, are you sure you want to know? <laughs> and he said, yes. And I said, Jesus Christ got your sister back. And he was hunched over and he propped his whole body up and he pointed right at me and he said, I want this Jesus Christ too. And he prayed and accepted forgiveness from our Lord. And about a year later, he passed away. Do you see how influence can lead to forgiveness and reconciliation? joseph was influenced by esau my uncle was influenced by my mom i was influenced by diane russ and my mother-in-law hate to say it again but are you connecting the dots so now let's go to the final story Uh, the one that i said that might make you a little uncomfortable you see it's a story that has been influencing the world now for more than two thousand years it changed the course of human history more than any other story in the world it's the story known as the gospel which is the good news in this story god sends his son to save us through his death and, and resurrection so that we might be offered forgiveness and reconciliation with god forever what is god's motivation? It's love for us. And here's a little bit of evidence here in the book of Romans that I want to read. We all know this verse. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as the passage goes on three times, he mentions the word reconciled to God. We are reconciled. We received reconciliation through Jesus Christ. This story changed my life. This story that has so powerfully influenced my family. Have you been connecting the dots? So here's sort of the uncomfortable part. Has the gospel changed the course of your history? Does the very thought of forgiving the unforgivable make you uncomfortable? Are you living a double life? Are you one person at home and a different one here at church? What about work? Do they even know that you're a Christian? How do you act there? I understand um, that you guys are, were in the book of Daniel. And here is the man that uses faith in God to influence the biggest influencer at that time, Nebuchadnezzar. Do you have an integrated worship and work life? We see that in the life of Daniel. He never compromised his faith. He was courageous. So now I'm going to ask you three questions. One, who are you influencing? And who is influencing you? And is Jesus influencing you? You are not here by accident. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father God, Lord, we just thank you for Jesus and his death and resurrection, which gives us life, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the free gift of grace, Lord, and your forgiveness, Lord. And Lord, we are now being able to, to be reconciled with you, Lord, through your son, Jesus. Lord, may today influence somebody in this audience, Lord, with your word and your message, Lord. And may it today be the day where they finally surrender their life today. After all this time, they finally said, I'm done. I want to surrender my life, and I want to know you, and I want to follow you, Lord. May that day be today, Lord Jesus. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.
1: Now you see why well, I wanted our brother to come share, it, don't you? I was just sitting there listening to him going, "What a miracle that there was a man that once drove up and down next to this church, maybe even kind of snubbing it, drove by with the intent to end his life. Here he is today sharing about the greatest love known to mankind. What a miracle that is. And God does miracles. You know, I was thinking about application for us today, and he, he really laid it out there. I just want to echo it. For some of you, you're already a follower of Christ. Uh, maybe what God spoke to your heart today is about that reconciliation piece. Maybe you've got someone out there you need to go and reconcile with and through the power of Christ. Maybe it's the influence piece some of you need to step up your influence, your your courage, your courageous faith uh, in, in the context outside of your Christian relationships, but for some of you online, some of you right here in this room, maybe today's the day that you need to have the courage to belong to Christ. And you're, you can relate to Stan. You, you've tasted everything the world has to offer. Maybe you're a young person going, that, that's where I want to go. And, and the Lord just intercepted you today and going, before you burn up a waste, bunch of wasted years, I've got something better for you. And so our encouragement to you is that you would give your life to Christ. I want to give you guys a chance to respond. Uh, for the influence piece, for the reconciliation piece, just, just go do it. Today, if you need Christ, if you're online, email us at Connect Online. Say I need Jesus. We'll get back in touch with you. If you're here today, take out that response card, even right now. And on that part, there's a part that says, "I need Jesus Christ. I want Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ." Just mark that. In a few minutes, basket's going to come around. Would you just put that as an act of worship, as a courageous act, into that basket, saying, "I need Christ. I want to follow Christ, or I want to know more about Christ." I'll tell you what's going to happen. We'll get back in touch with you. We'll share with you about how you can have the most amazing relationship possible. And we don't want it to just be something here in this minute. It can be something we can sit down and have a conversation. If you don't want to leave here today without getting into that relationship with Christ, don't. We'll have friends in the prayer cove. We'll have staff people out in the foyer look for the lanyards and say, Hey, I I want to know more about knowing Christ. We'd uh, love to share that with you. And, uh, Stan, as as, as you were sharing, um, you've blessed us today. We want to bless you. We want to pray for your father right now. I want to pray for Vishwa right now. So would you please pray with me, Lord? Thank you so much for Brother Sands. God, we pray that you put your hand upon him as he travels. Put your hand upon his marriage, Lord. Keep it strong. Keep him close to you. And Father, we know that one of the greatest desires of his heart is that his earthly father would meet his heavenly father. So Lord, right now we pray for Vishwa right now by name. Lord, would you continue to break down whatever barriers, whatever walls, are in his life? Preventing him from receiving salvation and forgiveness. Or whatever lies he's believing, Lord, remove them. Whatever doubts he has, Lord, bring uh, comfort and confront those. And Lord, let him learn and continue to see. And the, the joy of seeing his family know the Lord Jesus. May that just continue to wear on him in such a way where he will give up and come to know you as Savior. We ask that, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all the people here. You need to walk out of here with application to either reconcile, to be more influential for Christ, or Lord, to give their life to your son Jesus today. We pray that you give them courage to do all those things. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Before we uh, close our time just celebrating through song, just a reminder that our brother Sanj is going to be here next Saturday. We're going to be in this room again next Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. He's going to bring a friend named Dan Wrangle, and they're just going to share how you can have courageous conversations. You can have courageous relationships as you live uh, on Mission for Christ. And so it's going to be a phenomenal couple hours of just uh, relational coaching and equipping about how we can maybe experience what he's been experiencing out there trying to live for Christ. And So come back. It's free. Love to have you. Uh, That'll be next Saturday. But let's stand and let's celebrate through song the gospel that we heard about today.